Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Mostly Weather podcast. My name is Doug McNeil and today we've got podcast regulars Claire Whittam. Hello. And Neil Robinson. Hello. And we've got a very special guest today. Uh, it's Chris Jones. Hello. Hi, Chris. Uh, you're the head of the Earth System uh, Modelling Group, is that correct? That's right, yes. And could you tell me a little bit about um, uh, what that involves, how long you've been here at the Met Office and, and what you've been doing during your career? Okay, yeah. So I've been here straight since university, just over 20 years now. And most of that time I've been at the Met Office Hadley Centre working on how climate interacts with natural ecosystems, so in particular on the land surface, but also in the oceans. And they're really important because they absorb a lot of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Um, So as we know, carbon dioxide is the main um, greenhouse gas that um, human activity emits and causes global warming. Um, We get a lot of natural service from ecosystems, so as plants grow, they absorb carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and CO2 can also dissolve in the oceans. And so they actually reduce the impact that that human activity is having on our climate. But we know that as the climate changes, some of those what we call ecosystem services might change as well. So we do a lot of research looking at those interactions. So this is really interesting stuff, Earth system modelling. So it's how the kind of atmosphere interacts with the biosphere and the oceans and and all these complex interplays over centuries, right? It sounds really complicated it can be yeah i mean so we we base it on the the really sort of fundamental weather forecasting model that the met office does so you know that's that's based around the physics of the atmosphere and we know how that works but like you say on the longer time scales what's important is you know things like the oceans come into play the the land surface forests can change where they grow or where they don't grow anymore so so things that aren't important for day-to-day weather forecasting become important on the longer time scales mm. so that's what we start to look at brilliant well thanks Chris. okay so um today we're thinking i'd like to introduce the concept towards the end of negative emissions right which sounds kind of strange um and we'll get there chris i understand you've you've written a paper recently that you'd like to present you've been presenting on on negative emissions Uh, and so really i'd like to start at the beginning and kind of break that down and 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 give the audience a really good chance to to get into the complexities of this so so let's talk about well first what we mean by emissions and then later on we'll come back to negative emissions so what do we mean by emissions in this context so i guess we're talking about um human activity that releases greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So the, the main cause, and the main greenhouse gas we talked about is carbon dioxide or CO2. Um, the main reason that is released to the atmosphere is when we burn fossil fuels. So anything from power stations burning coal, whether you put petrol in your car, natural gas, all these, all these things that have been dug up out of the ground, when we burn them, they produce energy, which is why we do it, but it releases CO2 to the that, atmosphere. That sorry, that um, uh, that point about being dug up out of the ground—that's important, isn't it? Yes, because, uh, because these have been locked away for a really long time, and the climate was different when they were out in the atmosphere. Is that yeah, right? that's right. So we could—I guess—we could take a step back and think about how the natural carbon cycle works. Um, I guess when you're at school, everybody learns about the water cycle and how you know it rains and the rain falls on the land and it goes down the rivers into the sea and then it evaporates back into the ocean. So it evaporates back into the into the atmosphere. And so you have this cycle of water going round and round. And the water never really, it's never created or destroyed, but it's just going round in a cycle. And the same happens with carbon. So there's, there's carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. 
and that's absorbed by trees and plants when they grow. Um, but when they die, they drop their leaves or the trees fall over or maybe they burn. That carbon dioxide goes back to the atmosphere. So we have this cycle again with carbon going around so we call it the carbon cycle. So this carbon's not been created or destroyed it's just been moved between different sort of places right? Yeah 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 that's right. So so we there's lots of spheres isn't there? So we've got an atmosphere yes. so yeah. the one we were talking about earlier with getting coal out the ground so that's the lithosphere right? So yeah the lithosphere tends to refer to yeah rocks and and things and they stuff that's in the ground stuff I guess, that's in the ground yes exactly yeah and locked away for a, 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 and locked few, away. a, a so, really long time scale. So I guess if, we, if we're thinking about how our climate has changed over, just over the period of 100 years or so, so since the sort of Industrial Revolution, most of the carbon, like you say, is it's going round in this cycle, and on the long term, nothing really changes. Mm. So the, the same amount of carbon is absorbed out of the atmosphere and returned back to the atmosphere through this cycling so that the amount in the atmosphere stays constant. But what we're doing now, we're digging up fossil fuel, we're digging up coal and oil. That's kind of like a new source of carbon that's been buried away for millions of years, and now that's going into the atmosphere as well. So we're, we're so by burning it, we're moving yeah. it from the lithosphere into the atmosphere, yeah. and it's a problem when it's in the atmosphere of CO2 because it's this greenhouse gas that affects the climate, right? That's right, so it's the primary cause of, of climate change. So to the... Um the analogy that I've heard is that it, it's a bit like a bath. The atmosphere is a bit like a bath, and you've got a, a tap and a, a plug hole which is open, and of course it, it's draining away, you, you know, into a natural sort of sink um, through the plug hole. But if you turn the tap up, um, and then your, your stock in the atmosphere will increase. Right? Especially yeah, if the tap is connected to the plug hole, right? <laughs> so we can torture this analogy all day. <laughs> so there's there's some other kind of places where the carbon goes right so the, the biosphere is the super interesting yes. one as well because that actually changes on time scales that we can we can be yeah. seeing in our you know in our lifetime right right yeah i mean even even this century we've seen changes in where plants grow particularly in the arctic in the, the high mm, latitudes where it's very cold as that's warmed up even even just by you know one degree during this century we've seen things like shrubs now grow further north than they used to and you know you can see these in old photographs there's some really interesting records of kind of explorers in the 19th century. So, so there's deforestation of the rainforest and stuff. That's no. something we used to hear yes. about a lot in the yes. 90s. That's a big part of the biosphere, right? It is, actually. So that's that's the other important source of carbon dioxide to the atmosphere is us cutting, cutting trees down. And that... Is that through... Is that because we're cutting stuff down and we're stopping it taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere? Or is it because we're then burning the trees? Or, or rotting or, you know... Yeah. yeah, it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. So yes, yeah, so when you when you cut down an area of forest, depends what you do with that wood. Sometimes we do it for the wood itself, for wood harvest. So so the deforestation yeah. also happens for kind of grazing cattle and things like this, right? That's right. Yes, yeah, so I, so I believe. I don't know if you know the answer to this. I heard an interesting fact that until it was like the early part of the nineties or something like that, more of the emissions of CO two, more of the man made emissions had actually come from land use change than it had come from directly burning fossil fuels. I don't know. Does that sound true? That, yes, it could be. I couldn't yeah. put an exact date on that without checking the numbers. I think until about the 1940s or 50s, okay, the, so maybe. the deforestation emissions of CO2 the, were, were bigger. But by the time, you know, the, the total amount over, over history... Has so the point is a significant amount yes. of man-made emissions have come from land use change, not fossil fuel. Yes. And, and again, we're talking that's because we're reducing the trees that are taken up the carbon dioxide, but we're also then putting cattle on, which I guess is a... So this is it. we're taking carbon from one sphere, the wrong yeah. sphere, either the biosphere or the lithosphere, and putting it into the atmosphere. 
that's right but yeah claire you're right so when you cut the trees down sometimes they get burnt or they they're just left to rot and that puts the the carbon from the trees goes back into the atmosphere but you've also removed the opportunity for that forest to actually absorb some back again i suppose but for me i'm just thinking you know we're talking about land use change being an enormous contributor and we're probably not talking about the field outside that's now being covered on houses or that's having an impact. We're talking about massive changes that, in that, areas that's probably outside of but that Europe counts, that we right? don't really see. I, I guess so. I mean, urbanisation of fields is also a, a thing, right? Presumably. Yeah. I mean, so, so deforestation sort of nowadays is, is a lot in the tropics. Mm-hmm. But, you know, historically, if we went back pre-1900, most of it was in... Western Europe and North America. So when you know when we first landed in in America, there was a lot of deforestation there, especially on the, the east coast. I guess and land's always yeah. been chopping trees down. Yeah. Yes, we we always need land for farming, and it's amazing how much how much land people can can occupy. So something like you know a third of the world now is is kind of under agricultural. Wow. So there's one really important sphere that we haven't mentioned yet, which isn't a sphere. It's just called the ocean, right? So th- this is yes. another part of the carbon cycle. Is there a sphere yeah. word for the ocean that I've forgotten? We've got biosphere, lithosphere, atmosphere, and actually we've got ice, which hydrosphere. is the cryosphere. Hydrosphere, there we go. Let's yeah. go for that. Chris, could you tell us about the sort of relative um, flows of carbon sort of in and out of the atmosphere yeah. and, and the, the kind of sizes of those? Yeah, so the ocean is, is equally important as, the, as the, the biosphere on land. So when we talk about biosphere, that talk, tends to mean living things, and there are plenty of living things in the ocean. So it's, mm. it's not just the land. So we kind That's of, an interesting point. Yeah. So you, can kind of, you can kind of talk about the land biosphere and the, and the marine biosphere as well, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so typically out of all the um, CO2 emissions that comes from human activity, so whether it's fossil fuel burning or deforestation, about half of those stay in the atmosphere each year and the other half is kind of taken out of the atmosphere again by these natural what we call carbon sinks and of that 50% that comes out of the atmosphere that's about half and half between the land and the ocean. So when we say the ocean do we mean the actual water or do we mean the animals in the water? Both. Both Both actually so the the mechanism that it comes out of the atmosphere is carbon dioxide dissolves in seawater Um, so it's actually a chemical process. And creates carboxylic acid it gets split into carbonate and bicarbonate atoms um ions in the water and the sort of ocean chemistry is quite you know people talk it about can be quite acid. complex but it's actually very well known and yeah sorry go on. i was just going to say people talk about ocean acidification That's as being right, yeah. one of the effects of climate change and this is it right the, car- the yes. carbon the carbon from the atmosphere goes into the ocean and makes it a nasty place to That's live if right. you're a fish yeah i mean i think if you go back to the really early papers by Arrhenius on climate change. So when we say really early, we're talking like 1800s here. This is really early. Late 19th century. Even carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, I think they referred to it as carbonic acid. Mm. You know, some of those. And that, it is when it dissolves in water that it becomes a a weak acid and, like you say, it changes the the pH of the ocean. So we're seeing our oceans becoming more acidic and that starts to affect marine life. Um, But once it's in the oceans, there are, you know, millions and millions of tiny little plankton that are little plants, they're called phytoplankton, and they photosynthesize just like trees and plants do on land. And they absorb the carbon out of the water, and then that gets into the, the marine biosphere, and they're then food for kind of grazing animals in the ocean. So there's, there's a very strong analogy mm. between the ocean and the land. The bi- biological pump, isn't it? So you're, you're yeah. literally pumping carbon out of the atmosphere into the, into the water, 
taken up by other biology and then it sinks. Yes. So well, especially, that's interesting because yeah. I was going to say, I've read that, you know, a lot of the carbon in the ocean is stored in the deep ocean rather yes. than the surface layer. And I was wondering, what does deep ocean actually mean? How does it get there, you mean? Well, no, no. What's, what's our definition of deep ocean? You know, or are we just talking about that Depends the who you talk to, layer? doesn't it? Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, my sort of... So the thinking is, would be, you know, 500 metres down, then below that, maybe I that's deep ocean. I think this is to do with the ocean currents a lot, isn't it? Depends yeah. on where you yes. are. I think it, it, the deep ocean is the bit that's not directly connected to the atmosphere, but that depends on where you are, because sometimes you have... So maybe we should talk but, about how the carbon gets into the deep ocean. I can think of two ways off, off the top of my head. Go on. Right, so there's gravity, right? So you have animals yeah. that die, yeah. and they sink. Yeah. Animals are made of carbon, therefore we've now got yeah. some carbon at the bottom. And the other one is through ocean currents. So at the surface, it's connected to the atmosphere, with carbon dioxide in it. The carbon dioxide dissolves into the water and then it gets pushed down, um, particularly by the thermohaline circulation, right? Which I think we mentioned before. So yes. this is basically what you might be tempted to call the Gulf Stream, but that's a bit simplistic. That's um, Ooh, one no. part of the thermohaline circulation. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's what people will yeah, refer yeah. to the Gulf we'll Stream, right? And that's kind of, we yeah. should definitely We could definitely do a whole podcast episode on yeah. this. So we'll, I think maybe we should we should stick with the land surface at the moment and come back to the, the ocean biology which we, and, and, and currents, which maybe we'll look at that in a, a later podcast. <laughs> okay, so I'd, I'd like to come back and have a think about um, the carbon in the atmosphere um, and uh, what that does to the climate and what the climate does to the carbon cycle. I think that'd be really interesting. So we've got these um, these targets for warming, Chris, uh, a two-degree target and a 1.5-degree target. Could you explain a little bit about those, how they relate to the relate to the carbon emissions and concentration, and maybe the difference between the two-degree and 1.5 target? Yeah, sure. Okay, so there's, there's a lot in there, obviously. So every year, the... The UN holds um, a meeting for all the countries that have signed up to their framework convention on climate change, and it's called the Conference of the Parties, or COP for short. And at the one in 2015 that was hosted in Paris, there was quite a momentous agreement between those nations that we should really, you know, make extra efforts and try and come up to an international agreement to try and limit global warming to within two degrees, and if possible... To, to pursue efforts to limit it to one and a half degrees. And that means above the sort of pre-industrial levels of round about sort of 18th, 19th century levels of climate. So to put that in context, the last couple of years have been approximately one degree above those levels. Um, it's important to point out that we're not talking about individual years. So, you know, we know the global temperature can go up and down a little bit from year to year. So we're talking about a long-term average to our climate and we're talking about a global average. And we're talking we? about a global average. So when you look right down to different countries, whether it's in the UK or across Europe or in Africa or wherever, then again, from year to year, you can have hot years and cold years and we can have a really cold winter or a really hot summer. And that, that's not really what we're talking about so much. What's, what's talked about by the two degrees or the one and a half degree targets is the average around the world for a whole year. Um, and the reason we've chosen those is sort of a, a kind of a pragmatic reason. We know that as as climate change um, progresses, as you go to higher levels of, of global warming, the impacts from 
from that change in climate will become greater. So there's no particular sudden threshold that says below two degrees everything is fine and then the world will stop. You know, it's, mm. you know, it's, not, it's not that drastic, it's just there's a, a continuing increase in the impacts that you'd get from climate change. My understanding is that certain uh, countries will see different impacts at different levels, right? So yeah. small, and island, small island states yes. might be more vulnerable to 1.5 degrees than, or, uh, or aim for a target of 1.5 degrees more strongly than, than, than larger states, which are more robust, for example. That's right. I think that's one of the key differences because between two degrees and one and a half degrees, you know, for, for most people, half a degree of, of temperature across an average of a whole year doesn't sound like much. But one of, the, one of the big impacts where that will have a difference is on sea level rise. So we know as the oceans warm up, they expand a little bit and some of the um, ice on land, so Greenland and Antarctic, if some of that ice melts, that contributes to sea level rise. So even half a degree of, of global temperature can have quite a big impact over a long period of time on, on sea level. And like you say, for small island states and low-lying nations, that's, that's quite a big impact. So that's where, where the big push has come from to try and limit warming to one and a half degrees. So when we talk about the warming being limited to one and a half degrees, is that... Um so, so is, the tar- is that the target driven by changes in carbon emissions? Because there's lots of things we do that affect the climate, right? And carbon's yeah. a really major one. So yeah. is that to encompass everything that we're, we're doing? or Yeah, that's, that's the intention. So we're talking about, yeah, global temperatures, as you would measure them, need to stay one and a half degrees, you know, within one and a half degrees of the, that pre-industrial level. And the carbon cycle is having a direct yes, impact on, on, on those, those temperatures. Yes. And my understanding is that the, those temperatures... Uh, having a direct impact on the carbon cycle as well. Yes. So this is what we what we refer to as kind of carbon cycle feedbacks. So this idea that the the system interacts in in both directions. So when we put carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, that's the main greenhouse gas. And as you say, there are other greenhouse gases as well. We you know we we emit all sorts of things from um, methane and ozone and CFCs and all these things have had a contribution. But carbon dioxide is the main one. Um, but the natural carbon cycle absorbs some of that, about half of it. So without those natural carbon sinks, we'd already be seeing twice as much climate change as we'd had. So we'd already be at, you know, so what kind around of things that are we, two degrees. Talking about then that, that are affected by the change in climate itself, if you know what I mean. So because we're talking about natural ecosystems and living things, obviously they're very responsive to how the climate works. So you know, plants grow in summer instead of winter because it's warmer and there's more daylight and things so like that. So if we make the so, planet hotter, the plants are going to grow more vigorously, the, right? And yeah, and carbon dioxide itself is, you know, is is one of the essential ingredients for plants to grow. And to some extent, when you put mm. more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, that can be quite beneficial for plant growth. So it's one reason they absorb some of the CO2 out so of the atmosphere. So that's what we call a negative feedback, right? Because yes. it's offsetting the thing exactly. that's causing it in the first place. Yes, Exactly. So, so overall, we're only seeing about half as much mm. go into the atmosphere as we emit. So again, the ocean chemistry we were talking about earlier yeah. as well, I believe that's another negative feedback, that's right? That's right. Because as yes. it gets hotter, these chemical reactions happen faster. And so it's more cases, the more, the more carbon dioxide you put in the atmosphere, the more absorbs into the ocean. Just, just because be- there's more available. Just because there's more available. So that's, the, that's kind of the strong negative feedback. Right. On top of that, the effect of of warming actually reduces the amount that can dissolve in the water so the solubility of carbon dioxide depends on the temperature so you reduce the amount you can hold and you also that's a positive yeah. feedback. so that's that's a positive feedback on top of 
this negative feedback yeah. and you can see how the whole thing starts to get a bit complicated <laughs> the classic there is i guess um is a, is a cold and a hot bottle of coke right go and see what happens if you warm up a bottle of coke and take the lid off because it's essentially it's the same process you can dissolve more gas in a in a cold liquid yes because it's the gas is more volatile as it gets hotter i suppose right i yeah i think so yeah, yeah. Um, so, so some of those feedbacks. So we talk about that sort of small positive and negative feedbacks in in the ocean there, but in yeah. the in the land surface, that's true as well, isn't it? Is there a tipping yes. point where where you of temperature where you get different uh, positive feedback rather than negative feedback? So there's there's not so much a threshold or a tipping point, but a, again a progressive positive feedback from climate. So the the CO two is removed from the atmosphere when plants grow, but it's returned to the atmosphere when plants die and all the dead material rots down and decomposes a bit like a big compost heap you imagine the forest floor is full of rotting leaves and if you make that a bit warmer they decompose a bit more so they're broken down by microbes and bacteria and things and they function a lot faster when it's warmer just to reiterate the carbon is precisely conserved i think this is really interesting when i learned this it made a big difference so when a plant grows it gets you know x 100 grams heavier and then it rots down and gets 80 grams lighter, but there is now 80 grams of carbon dioxide that's gone into the atmosphere. You know, give yes. or take stuff that's been eaten by yes. animals and carried away or whatever. But, you know, it's neither created nor destroyed. It's absolutely transferred between different spheres. It depends on the time scale, right? Yeah. So it goes back to the atmosphere at some point when the animal that's just eaten it dies. So, so one of the reasons yes. that carbon dioxide, we talk about it so much, is, is because of the carbon cycle, right? So carbon dioxide is not one of the really, well, there are stronger greenhouse gases that have a bigger like methane and water vapor but carbon dioxide has got a long lifetime compared to these things in the atmosphere because of the carbon cycle right it doesn't get removed yes that's right because of the carbon cycle and because just of the amount of it so Mm. um people say methane depends on the the time scale but it's 20 or 30 or 100 times stronger on different time scales as a greenhouse gas as a greenhouse gas but there's something you know we tend to measure its concentration in tiny amounts in what we call parts per billion mm. whereas carbon dioxide is measured in parts per million so it's about a thousand times more so that's because methane's fairly reactive right so yes. things can happen to it and it gets removed it can react with other chemicals yes. to turn into something that's not a greenhouse gas but carbon dioxide's already quite well actually from a chemistry point of view i'm trying to think back to when i used to know some chemistry it's already yeah. quite oxidized right you've got yes. one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms so you can't actually start sticking more stuff like oxygen onto it so it's kind of finished and it just floats around being inert and not doing very much apart from making the planet I think, warmer i think that's exactly right it's, it is it is pretty much chemically inert but it's it's the presence of life on our planet that's affected our mm. our atmosphere and it's changed our climate over you know millions of years it's one it's one reason our planet's different from all the others we see, you know, the, the atmosphere isn't in chemical equilibrium because life changes it. So uh, James Lovelock has got a really yeah. great quote about this stuff. So I think we've talked about James Lovelock, who actually lives down the road from the Met Office somewhere relatively nearby, doesn't he? In yeah, Doug's he comes in home, once in a while. Doug's home county of Dorset. So James Lovelock was a very uh, famous scientist who had a theory called the Gaia theory, which was this, mm-hmm. is it fair to say, a controversial theory, quite graceful theory? Um, that sort of describes how he thought that these different um, parts of the biosphere and the, the planetary system had co-evolved into some kind of equilibrium. It was a really interesting yeah. idea, right? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's really summarised by the just the idea that life isn't just something that lives on the surface of the planet and is affected by the atmosphere. It, it, you know, it can affect the atmosphere in return, you know, so that 
you know the the biosphere itself isn't just a passive responder to whatever the planet throws at it it's part of part of the bigger system and yeah. it helps form it and and change it so we've got the carbon cycle acting as a, a as a service an ecosystem service was that the, the yeah, word you used that's a good phrase. And yeah. the services that it's it's taking down drawing down some of the emissions that we're putting into the into the atmosphere now and, and we're we've got these targets of two two degrees or 1.5 degrees um that we'd like to stay below in order that we would that we don't have a dangerous climate um and could you talk chris maybe a, a little bit about the future and that the ecosystem service that the carbon cycle is going to be going to be uh, providing over say the 20 21st century over the length of the 21st century and how that might change uh, as you go through and, and we we change our approach to, to climate change yeah sure so so as an ecosystem service there are lots of services we get from ecosystems they pr- produce food and fiber and things but in the context of climate change what we're talking about is their ability to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and one of the main reasons that that happens in the first place is because there's more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than there used to be. So as we said, that stimulates extra plant growth and it makes more dissolve in the oceans. And over the 20th century, we've been progressively putting CO2 into the atmosphere faster and faster. So it's kind of built up in an almost exponential increase. And as a result of that, the amount that's absorbed out of the atmosphere by the ecosystems has increased as well. Um, but as they, we move, they increased uh, yeah in proportion to each other. Al- almost exactly, it's quite remarkable since since we measured atmospheric CO two directly from the atmosphere it started about the late nineteen fifties at a, an observatory in Hawaii called Mauna Loa. There's a very famous we talk about the Mauna Loa record of CO two, and they've been measuring that since the late nineteen fifties. And the amount of the, the the increase in the CO two there is almost exactly half of the emissions into the atmosphere it's about, it's about 40 percent oh, that's quite incredible really that, that, that fraction that fraction has been constant over the last 60 so years yeah just not to go off on too much of a tangent but we should put the Munaloa time series on the website because there's a really interesting thing about it which is it's got this sort of sawtooth effect on it right and this is yes this is the carbon cycle that's, that's because yeah yeah, so why is this article? Well, Chris, there? I understand as well you had another paper this, this year or uh, late last year looking at forecasting well, that, yes, that record. Well, yes, we did. Right? Yeah, I mean, so, so just from that single kind of trace of CO2 in the atmosphere at a point in Hawaii, the reason they do it there is because it's a long way from, you know, built-up areas. Everywhere. So you, so you, <laughs> it's a long way from everywhere. <laughs> so you're, you're really sampling kind of what's in the free atmosphere and it's not polluted by local sources so you can kind of learn a lot about the whole planet from that one point and so this wiggle you can see on it comes from the seasonal yeah. cycle right that's right so so in the summer i guess the plants are more active and they're soaking exactly. up more of the carbon dioxide. Yeah. so going yeah. back to a point in the previous podcast i think this is our northern hemisphere bias yeah again that we've got so much more vegetation in the northern hemisphere that that's we right. see the northern hemisphere summer yes. and winter cycle in that's that that's CO2 exactly record. right yeah so almost all of the world's vegetation is either in the tropics or the northern hemisphere and then in the in the northern summer that's why we see that that carbon dioxide minimum around about september time so how's your forecast working for the for the next year that's how that's what's what's Uh, impacting that forecast so we've we've got a very simple sort of statistical technique at the moment for forecasting the the carbon dioxide but it's based around using the met office seasonal forecast of ocean temperatures and combining that with an estimate of what um sort of fossil fuel emissions are going to be for the next year and we use the last few years of the seasonal cycle but we also predict 
the impact of global temperature on the carbon cycle. So during 2016, there was a particularly big El Nino, so it was a very warm year. So we predicted that that meant the CO2 in the atmosphere would increase faster than normal, and that, that turned out to be the case. So 2016 was the first time that the, the carbon dioxide stayed above 400 parts per million for the whole year. So that's quite a landmark. So that's a bit of a landmark. Again, yeah. there's no physical significance to that other than it's just a, it's a round number that it's a you know milestone if you like. Mm. So if carbon dioxide emissions are things that we do to put carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, presumably a negative carbon dioxide emission is things that we do to put a negative amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, i.e., reduce it, right? Yes. So this is this is in the context now of. I, I think we should talk about this in the context of the future yeah. and the plans for limiting uh, climate change below two degrees so, or one point five. So just degrees. to nod back, that wasn't completely out of the blue. This was this was um, something that you've been you've been looking at in your research, right? We have, yes, yes. Yeah, so the the question really now comes since the world's decided we want to aim for these temperature targets of two degrees or one and a half. How do we actually achieve that? So we know we need to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide that goes into the atmosphere, but simply telling politicians we must reduce our emissions, you know, the, the obvious question is, well, by how much and mm. when? So, so and our res- Yeah, and how. <laughs> so our research is really around trying to, you know, help answer that. It's not, it's not the scientist's job to say what the targets should be, but we can help the world plan for how you achieve that. So, yeah, so, I mean, so we work with a lot of groups who look at technology and how... You know the social sciences can plan how, you know, the infrastructure changes and and so on. And what they're finding is it's very difficult to meet these targets just simply by reducing the emissions in a sustainable way. So in in principle, we could stop all of our fossil fuel burning today, but the impact that would have on society would be absolutely catastrophic because we rely on it for energy and electricity, and you couldn't run the hospitals and anything like this. So you know, you have to very slowly you know decarbonize our technology so begin to get our energy from other sources um so we we talk a lot about um reducing waste becoming more efficient turning the lights off things like that using sustainable power but even even with all of that the emissions that we're still committed to by having power stations are are sufficient they would probably drive us past these targets these temperature targets. So people are also now looking at, is there a way we can actually deliberately remove some of the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere? So it's, it's also fair to say that if we stopped releasing carbon dioxide today, yes. there would still be warming that occurs. So we've stored up pain for the future. So could you tell us a bit about the physics of that then? So yes, yeah, so if, if we manage to kind of fix the the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere at the current amount. You're right, that that has changed the amount of energy that comes in and out of our atmosphere. So the greenhouse gases act a bit like a blanket. They absorb some of the energy leaving the atmosphere. And that will continue to happen even if we kind of fix the amount that's there. And the extra warmth that that causes takes a long time to gradually filter down, particularly into the oceans. We talked before about you know, carbon getting into the deep ocean, but also heat has to get into the deep ocean, and that takes hundreds of years. So I guess the reason I bring that up is because that implies that actually actively removing carbon dioxide is something that's sort of a valuable thing to be doing for that reason. It, it is, yeah, for a, 
for a climate point of view, if we want to stabilise global temperatures, we've really got to start, you know, getting to a, a maximum level of carbon dioxide and hopefully trying to reduce it. And again, it, it, I, I think that um, what you do, the choices you make in terms of removing um, various greenhouse gases or... or, or um, or doing different things have different impacts, right? So the carbon dioxide has a particular impact on, say, sea level because it's a really long-term thing, but it might have a different impact on precipitation. So you might see changes in the Earth system. These are where you're getting into slightly more uncertainty, but but the choice of, you know, future that you make has an impact in different ways on different parts of the Earth system. I think that's really important. Well, maybe we'll come back to that yes. in a minute. Yeah. So could you tell us about sort of what these ne- negative emission sort of things look like? How do we, how do we make ne- negative emissions? So there are multiple ways. Some of, them, some of them are around just simply making use of natural ecosystems, so replanting areas of forest, so what's called reforestation or afforestation. You know, large areas of forest absorb CO2 as they grow. So that's so that's one way. Do they that that also has does that have an, another impact on the say the albedo though? Does that does, it can does that do, produce yes. warming in other ways or, or it can do so depends again, on where whenever, they are, I guess. Whatever we do to the, the surface of the, the planet changes lots of things, not just the carbon dioxide. So you're right. If if the forests are, are darker in colour than what was there before they can absorb sunlight and that can have a warming effect that, they're sort of optimized for absorbing yeah. sunlight, right? That's exactly what plants do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, trees do tend to be darker than grasses, for example. Yeah, so interesting. They, so, you know, you can replant trees in, in an area that was a field. So, I mean, presumably it's also simpler saying trees are really heavy, right? They're much heavier than grass, therefore they must be absorbing much more carbon than, than grass does. <laughs> Is that, or have I oversimplified I, that? Possibly a little, but I yeah, mean, okay. it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad first it's a, order. Bad place I think to start. They store it for a longer time, right? They store it yeah. for a longer time in their wood, so I think grasses are probably... You know, maybe not quite as productive as trees, but there's not as much difference as you imagine. They just don't store it for as long, and some yeah. of the carbon they store is stored underground. Mm. Oh, yeah. I was just about to bring that up. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of carbon in the soil. A lot yeah. of carbon in soil, and we don't tend to think of that, do we? I mean, it's a it's a big fraction yeah. of the world's carbon is yeah, stored in the soil. Yeah, I and mean, that respires. without without organic matter, you know, carbon in the soils, you couldn't you couldn't grow anything. Yeah. You need that carbon and the nutrients that go with it, otherwise your back garden would just be sand, right? Yeah. I mean <laughs> you know, it's the it's the My back garden pretty much is sand. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned sort of forests, so that's a very much a natural solution. Are we also yeah. talking about technological solutions? There are technological solutions, yes. Yeah, so the so the one around just simply planting forests, then you can kind of move up the scale. The one that's um, talked about a lot is the use of bioenergy so growing um, trees or plants for energy using those in power stations to burn them but then capturing the co2 at the plant where they're burnt and then somehow storing the carbon dioxide so you've removed it from the atmosphere as the plant grows mm-hmm. you can then burn it for energy um, but then instead of the co2 going back to the atmosphere as part of the cycle you can capture it at the power plant that's and quite interesting. So that's sort of a double whammy, right? And the yeah. first hand, you're displacing something where you're... So if we burn fossil fuels, like we said, we remove from the lithosphere and put it into the atmosphere, then you're talking about using a biofuel. So we remove from the yes. atmosphere into the biosphere 
and then normally we would burn that and put it back into yes. the atmosphere. So that would be a net zero contribution, so which is already better than net, the fossil fuels. Net, exactly, they're carbon neutral. But you're talking about something one step further, which is the technology yes. already exists to capture it as it comes out the smokestack of the, the power station, presumably, yeah. rather, rather than just grabbing it from the sky. Yes, it um, does. You want high concentration, don't you, at this point, to make yeah. it m- m- more yes. efficient. So now, now you've got this double whammy of a neutral kind of thing that you're actually making a negative thing by removing it as it comes out the smokestack. That's really interesting. That's true. And then there are further technologies that literally do rely on chemical means to absorb it from the atmosphere. You know, by you know, you can change the weathering of rocks on land. I mean, people are inventing machines that, that literally, you know, almost like fake trees that, that absorb CO2 directly from the atmosphere. Am I right in saying that the reason that we haven't got all these already is that the, the current technology not as efficient as simply grabbing some lovely right. energy density, yeah. high energy so, density, yeah, energy rich stuff out of the ground? Machines, right? Yeah, trees are solar powered, so, you know, they've already done that. Exactly. There, there is an irony that we might yeah. we might invent fake trees when nature's done it for us, right? I did think that if you invent some kind of solar power machine that has a chemical reaction to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, you know? Yeah, you could paint it green. Yeah, you could paint it green. Because yeah. <laughs> I was wondering about that, though, because there must, to my mind, there must be advantages of a solution which takes the CO2 at source and sort of prevents it going into the atmosphere rather than something where the CO2 is already in the atmosphere, so it's already having an impact and then you're trying to take it out. So the the knock-on's there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so so all of these things, I think, have a contribution to play. So if you're burning fossil fuel, but you capture that CO2 at the power plant and somehow store it underground again, that's, that's quite often known as CCS. We call it carbon capture and storage or carbon capture and sequestration. So, you, again, we're talking about putting it back underground. So that's a sort of a carbon-neutral technology. So basically, in essence, replacing that store of coal and yes. oil that we burn and just shoving it back underground so, and exactly. leaving it there. So yeah. that, again, there are test plants around the world. That sort of technology exists. Mm. But, we again, it would need to be deployed on a massive scale if you imagine every power plant around the world having that. And Doug mentioned this earlier, but is the, that easier at the power plant because just because the concentrations yeah. are higher coming out the stack, so that makes exactly. it chemically yeah. more tri- more trivial, yeah. not uh, energetically trivial, easier. Yeah. CO two in the atmosphere, we measure it in parts per million. So yeah. I said it's, you know, at the moment it's around about four hundred parts per million. So it's you know it's like twentieth of a percent of, of the atmosphere. So it's very very weak in concentration in in terms of actually trying to you know, make a chemical reaction with so it. Just finding the molecules floating yes. past your machine yeah. is harder it's, than in a smokestack. It's, it's enough to just, you know, slightly change the the energy balance of the world and cause climate change. But we're not talking about large amounts mm. in, in that sense. Um, but all, all of these kind of technologies come with various costs or limitations to them. So directly absorbing it, the sort of direct air capture we call it, is very, very expensive and requires a lot of energy to run the the technology um things like the bioenergy the biofuel type things or reforestation just use up huge amounts of land mm. if you do the calculation for how much um biofuel you need to burn to replace the fossil fuels we use you very quickly realize that you can't do that and grow enough food for the planet yeah, I mean, we, de- we deforested for a reason right yeah. it would be a good or a bad reason we deforested to live places and grow food <laughs> yes so the, the bioenergy you know, really competes with food production. So we're looking at, you know, when you start removing, you know, huge areas of land that are now devoted to biofuel, that's great for climate, but, you know, people still need to eat. So we've got to find a way of 
not focusing only on climate change is the only problem. We have to put this into a, a framework of you know, sustainability, and the UN has a whole range of sustainability goals, not just climate. So we're looking at you know, an end to poverty and mm-hmm. food security, water supply. And when you start changing the land surface and you start you know, kind of engineering what you do with ecosystems, you can affect all of those. Yeah, so there are knock-ons on all sorts of aspects yeah. of life, not just the the sort of the one we're talking about yeah. today, which is the climate. Yeah. So these these so so imagine we're we're drawing down now. At the end of the century, carbon dioxide concentrations are high, and we found some way of drawing them down out of the atmosphere. Say fake trees, brilliant. <laughs> what then is happening with the carbon cycle? Is that having an impact on the carbon cycle again? Yeah. So what what happens there, of course, is now the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere isn't as high as before these natural carbon sinks don't operate as strongly as before so at the moment we're removing about half of our of our emissions into the atmosphere if we stop putting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere which is a good thing but that natural service itself will reduce just simply because we're not we're not pushing the co2 up as hard and then nature will stop pulling it back down again as in the same way. Coming back to my earlier question though, when you said it was in proportion as we've gone up, will it still be in proportion as we go down or we do we think there are feedbacks there that would change that? So, so that's exactly what we try to understand with with our research. So you know, our, we run some, you know, our numerical models based around these weather forecast models but with all these extra processes in I I used to answer that exact question to try and work out you know, why is that fraction, why has it been so constant over time and will that continue? And one reason it's been constant is kind of a little bit of an accident of the fact that, you know, we've increased our emissions in such a way with a sort of an exponential increase that the fraction that is removed, you know, has been constant in time. But as we deviate from that, we don't think it will necessarily stay the same. And in particular, if we start to bring the, the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, it starts to reduce... We might get to the stage where the you know the natural sinks stop operating at all because they reach a level where they're in balance with the atmosphere. Really? You wow. Know, it's it's okay. impossible. You could remove enough carbon dioxide from the atmosphere that the natural sinks start to put some of the carbon they've absorbed back into the atmosphere. You could actually get a, a reversal. A reversal. So it's it's yeah. working for us at the moment. It's working for us but at the moment. We'd have to work harder still once we start removing carbon dioxide. Yeah. From no, you say these are active research questions, right? Yes. This is- this is what we're trying to model at the Met Office. Cutting edge. Yeah, yeah cutting edge of stuff. Cool. So one final option that I, I think, again, we could do a whole podcast on, but, but perhaps is interesting to introduce in this context is, is, is geoengineering, right? So this is yeah. a massive... I was going to um, ask that. Is this geoengineering? It sort of is. It sort of isn't it's the start. same as other geoengineering. It's, it's not quite the same. It's, uh, there's different types of geoengineering, aren't there? Chris, could you yeah, talk um, about those a little bit? So geoengineering is a, is a term that's been coined to to basically mean deliberately trying to change the climate of the of the planet. So it's As opposed to releasing carbon dioxide from fossil fuel, which is accidentally changing the <laughs> Exactly. Climate. So we've we've kind of been doing this for hundreds of years, yeah. but the the reason we burn fossil fuel is to get energy and the climate change is a is a bit of a side effect that we we didn't know about and we're learning about now. We're talking now about deliberately changing the climate. So and so geoengineering is typically split into two techniques and one is called carbon dioxide removal so everything we've been talking about just now negative emissions quite often used in in the same way so removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere the other the other form of geoengineering comes to actually trying to block out some of the sunlight entering the, the atmosphere 
this is known as um, solar radiation management um, and you can do that in a number of ways people have talked about putting great big mirrors up in space seeding clouds but a lot of them are around you know simply injecting particles into the atmosphere so aerosols particularly up in the stratosphere they have a long lifetime and that can act in the same way that you know after a big volcanic That's eruption right, yeah. You know, we see after big volcanoes, so, the so world fact, gets cooler for a couple of years. So there's there's pros and cons, right? I mean, the 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 con of removing carbon dioxide is it's really hard. <laughs> it requires a lot of yes. electricity a lot of the time. But the pro is that it's actually addressing the fundamental problem. Right. You know, if we try and go with these solar radiation schemes, which have other pros and cons, you know, they may be easier to do. Cheaper. Cheaper. Yeah. But we're not you know absolutely certain before we do it exactly what the complex interplay is going to be with these things because it's not really addressing the fundamental problem it's like a sticking plaster yeah it is it's a bit like driving a car and you're pressing the accelerator and the brake yeah. at the same time <laughs> that's you a think, good okay, analogy you know instead of if you want to slow down the first thing you do is you take your foot off the accelerator right yeah yeah so, absolutely but we're we're pressing harder and harder on the accelerator and pressing the brake at the same time and it's it's not good for your car. <laughs> I think we should definitely um, maybe bring Chris back and some of the people that we know are working on uh, geoengineering, other different types of geoengineering engineering strategy for, for a future podcast. But that sounds like a, a, a really interesting, uh, um, a really interesting future podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, if you could give us a review on iTunes, that would be really useful. You can tweet us our questions at mw underscore podcast or you can email us at mostlyweather at metoffice.gov.uk i'd like to say thanks very much to our guest chris jones thank you yeah thanks chris uh thanks to uh neil and to claire no bother uh if you'd like to see some of the pictures documents and show notes those are going to be at metoffice.gov.uk slash mostlyweather slash episode 15 but for now thanks very much and goodbye thanks bye goodbye bye